Hey everyone, uh, Michael here. Um, doing something a little bit different today. This uh, the past couple of weeks have been pretty hectic uh, with uh, the boys getting ready to go to school. So there's not quite enough time to um, research, record, and produce uh, our typical episode for you. So we are jumping in the uh, the way way back machine today and listening to the very very first interview that Andrew and I did on Michael Erickson's That Triathlon Show way back, well, it feels like way back, in uh, August of 2017. So this is an episode where we came on to talk about the very new, at the time, virtual wind tunnel technology that Andrew had developed as part of Stack, which of course is now part of Four Eyes. Um, and uh, even though the episode was uh, is just over three years old, most of the information is still pretty good. There are a few things that are... Uh, no longer accurate. Uh, I don't think there's a, a 3D viewer available any longer, but Andrew might be able to correct me on that. Um, and that's to compare the side-by-side comparison of 3D scans. Um, and my thinking on bike fitting has evolved a little bit. But for the most part, it's uh, we don't say anything that's, I don't think, <laughs> that, that is entirely, you know, no longer accurate in that in this episode. But the most interesting piece of it is uh, is just how far you know, um, where we were three years ago in terms of podcasting and where we are now. And the um, when I asked Michael if I could use this the episode, he joked that there was no way he was going to be listening to it because he didn't want to he didn't want to uh, know what he sounded like three years ago. The other thing is uh, I'm going to edit out the intro that he does to the episode. Uh, but one thing that's kind of worth noting because again I think it's kind of a cute detail is that uh, he is um, he's in the he's recording it fairly late at night. And he needs to get to bed because he has a really big workout coming the next day and he needs to get his sleep. So there's a couple of times in the episode body that he mentions needing to go to bed. So now you guys have the uh, the requisite context for that, um, <laughs> the, um, the needing to go to bed. So uh, in the words of Michael Erickson, without further ado, here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. All right, I have two guests for today's episode of That Triathlon Show. I have with me Andrew Buckrell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Stack Performance and Michael Lieberson, who is a coach and also bike fitter at X Free Training. And uh, hey, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, Michael. So that was Andrew first and then Michael, just so the listeners can keep track of who's talking. And uh, why don't we take uh, just a brief moment so that you can guys can give you know, a brief introduction of uh, your background and why you are here. Uh, sure. Andrew, let's start with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, so about myself, um, I am currently still a PhD student, but um, my interest in aerodynamics and, uh, and, and bikes and training uh, has really gotten me to where I am right now. So uh, just through experimentation, I, working with a, a business partner, we got this idea about uh, measuring aerodynamics for cyclists uh, because wind tunnels are often inaccessible and it's it's difficult for a lot of people to be able to afford them. Um, so we thought, you know, is there a way we can actually make this 
something that uh, that normal people can use. And you don't have to be a super high-end athlete with uh, expensive sponsorship dollars uh, pushing you forward. So we we worked on this for a couple of years developing aerodynamics, but um, it uh, getting to the point where we are now having um, having this experience and all these connections within the triathlon community, it's been fantastic. And it's just it's something I love doing. I love working on. So it's, it's really a dream come true for me being able to work with high level athletes and being able to uh, do something I love so much. Um, so I guess that is the reason that I'm here right now. Yeah. Perfect. And Michael, what about you? Uh, I've, uh, my triathlon career sort of started in, um, around 2013 as an athlete. And, um, my background is also in engineering. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer, so uh, fluid dynamics and, uh, and aerodynamics are things that are not entirely foreign to me. And um, uh, when I started coaching in, in around 2014, um, I always did take a more scientific approach to the sport. That's one of the aspects of it, actually, that really attracted me to it. And uh, I'm always on the lookout for uh, for interesting and, uh, and novel and useful, really, um, technologies and ideas to make my athletes perform better and aerodynamics is definitely one of those things that uh, um, is so very very important to us on the bike that you, if you can uh, you know if you can improve performance without getting any fitter and for a lot of us that have been in the sport for a few years getting those fitness gains is hard so getting that bit of free speed is always uh, is always a win so I uh, I was Turned on to uh, the virtual wind tunnel and stack by, uh, I think, our mutual acquaintance, Cody Beals, when he gave a talk at, uh, at our studio and uh, got in touch with these guys and the rest is history. Yeah, and uh, I think we just lost 80% of our listeners because they know that I'm an engineer as well and that they probably fear that this will be the driest conversation ever. But I think that the 20% that are still left will love this because it's it might be some uh, some nerd talk but we'll try to make it simple folks just kidding uh so uh, the virtual wind tunnel yes that is the reason that why we're here and actually andrew we have corresponded briefly in the past about it because i included it in a blog post that i wrote about exciting new technologies that are coming out and uh, michael not knowing that actually contacted me after finding that triathlon show and and said that, hey, this would be a great topic for the show. And uh, here we are. So, uh, Andrew, why don't you take this next question and give an an overview from a simple perspective so that anybody can understand what the wind tunnel does more specifically and how does it work? Absolutely. So, like you said, I'll try to uh, keep it away from the engineering talk. Um, so I'll, if, if I do get too technical, just let me know and I can uh, try to explain it a little bit better. Um, but the the whole process, uh, like the name suggests, virtual, um, it's completely uh, digital models that we deal with. So we use a process called computational fluid dynamics, um, which is often uh, contracted to CFD. So you you'll see this mentioned when uh, when companies are talking about aircraft development or um, or race cars or things like that. So CFD is often used to numerically design something and and test the fluid flow with it. Um, so with CFD, it, it gives you the advantage of being able to look specifically at the fluid flow in any place. Uh, and it, uh, you can take measurements, you can take uh, comparisons and be able to manipulate models and, and work completely within the digital world. Uh, so it's completely a question of how much computer power you have. So the, the process in general, um, breaking it down for, for an athlete who is interested in it, 
So we start off with scanning. And the, the scanning is really the critical part of it. So we want to capture a good physical model of someone. Um, so we have a scanner that's uh, it's actually iPad-based, so it's very easy to use. Uh, it only takes about two or three minutes per scan. So during this process, uh, the, the athlete themselves will be on their bike in their race position holding a static position. And the, the person doing the scanning uh, will walk around and try to capture all the different sight lines and angles so that... Uh, we can reconstruct this model in, in three dimensions. And having the, um, the scanner itself um, as, as part of a, a portable platform, it makes it really easy to, to get all the angles we need and, uh, and be able to um, just work with the athlete in any space uh, at any location that they, they need. So it's, it's much more convenient than going to a wind tunnel. Uh, once we have the digital model, um, we, we take a, uh, a computer software program that we've developed and we reconstruct it. Um, so the, the, the raw data from the scanner is just depth. So at any given point, if you imagine looking through the scanner, you can see um, basically an image of what you're looking at, except it's colored by depth instead of uh, by actual physical color. And when you move that around, you get this point cloud. So this, this group of points that you're trying to match up and stitch together. Uh, so it's a, big, um, it's a big combination of all these different frames. And it's, it's just a very difficult um, uh, a process to reconstruct. It's very time-consuming anyway. And, uh, once, and, and that's really the hardest part from our end. Uh, the CFD is um, fairly simple once you get a good, excuse me, a good model together. Uh, and then the, the next step moving to the CFD, once we have the digital model, uh, it's just a question of um, putting it through the software. Uh, we've worked a lot on the boundary conditions we use and the model setup. Uh, so that's streamlined, that's been tested a lot, um, and it just essentially goes through. You throw a lot of computer power at it, uh, and then we get some output that, um, that represents what the fluid flow will look like. Uh, so we're able to simulate over basically an unsteady flow, so over a, a reasonable time period to see how the flow changes, how you would expect things to move around, and uh, it gives us a really, really good idea of where drag may be coming from. And it, it allows you to do a lot of optimization for, um, for the cyclist. So the output there is the drag or the coefficient of, of drag and uh, where it is coming from. Yeah, yeah. So we can see the actual numbers for drag. But on top of that, we can start digging into the model and look at specific areas. So maybe, uh, maybe your helmet area is generating a lot of drag. Maybe there's a flow separation caused because your helmet isn't placed in the right location. And this flow separation propagates down your back and creates uh, a lot of excess drag just because um, it's essentially disturbing the airflow. Um, so with a wind tunnel, you get the numbers, but you wouldn't have necessarily a good indication of where that might be coming from. But with the CFD, because we can see how the fluid's moving at any point, uh, we can go back and say maybe the cause of all this drag is just your helmet's in the wrong position. And small tweaks can now make a big difference in terms of performance. Right, that is interesting. I, I hadn't think, thought about that, that you actually get some outputs that you don't even get in a wind tunnel. And we'll get back to that comparison with actual wind tunnels a bit later. But uh, Michael, now I wanted to ask you, as somebody who is using this virtual wind tunnel and uh, seeing clients and taking them through this process, when when a client comes or triathlete comes to you to go through this process, what what is it actually that you do? How long does it take? And what do the client get? Well, there are uh, there are two broad cases that I would split the split 
clients into one uh, one type just wants a number, and uh, we can talk about why they want a number. Typically, it's for modeling a race using software like Best Bike Split. So you need a you know your coefficient of drag times area, your CPA. Um, so that is something that that a client may want for the position that they are already quite comfortable with. Um, so that would be case number one, and that's a simple case, and that's just a matter of doing a single scan and having uh, having Andrew and the guys run their analysis on it. Uh, most folks they 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 are though they are looking for a fit uh, and some optimization, and then that of course depends on um, what we do there depends on how good their current fit is. So if it's somebody who's looking for a bit of optimization, what we would do is we would. Uh, look at their current fit and see where there are opportunities to potentially make it better, uh, make it more aerodynamic. Um, you know, t the typical maxims are if you want to, you know, if you can lower the front end or make the front end narrower, that is typically faster. So that is something that we can test and see if that is in fact the case. Um, or we can test, of course, solutions like hydration. Um, and the one that Andrew touched on, which is really, really important, is aero helmets because they all depending on the posture of the of the rider, um, different helmets will test very differently. So a helmet that may be super fast on, uh, on one individual is gonna be terrible on another just because of the way their head is positioned. Uh, so we can do a little bit of optimization. Um, so that would take, that would typically take um, two to four scans, depending on how many positions we wanted to test. And as Andrew said, the scanning process is pretty straightforward and pretty quick. It only takes about three or four minutes per scan. And then typically, uh, of course, it depends on the bike and how easy it is to adjust. The, uh, the modification of the position, as long as we're not making major changes, uh, won't take very much time, between 10 and 15 minutes. So the whole process might take an hour. Um, and then, of course, the full, uh, the full service, including a full fit, that would take anywhere from uh, you know, 90 minutes to two and a half hours. Because before we even get into the, um, uh, the VWT scanning, we would have to get the athlete into... Um, a position that is sustainable, um, where ergonomics are key. Ergonomics and uh, and power generation are key. So we get somebody to a position that is comfortable, and of course that comes all comes down to experience and fitness and mobility, especially in the hips, as well as the race duration. So somebody racing sprints, uh, draft illegal sprints might be far more willing to put up with a with an aggressive position that where they can still generate power. Whereas somebody who's doing an Ironman may want a little bit more of a relaxed position uh, at the cost of, of aerodynamics. And then at the end of the process, at the end of the fit process, we would go through the through the you know two to four scans to to really fine tune the fit. So really pick a position, pick the best position out of maybe two or three positions that are already quite close. And what happens next? Then you you run the numbers and. Uh... When do the results come in? Uh, so, so one of the oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say one of the challenges is just uh, the turnaround time. Um, computational work in general tends to take a long time, uh, and it's something that we're working on increasing the uh, basically increase, increasing the throughput of the simulations. But uh, it's never going to be instant, at least not within the next ten to fifteen years. Um, and that is the advantage of a wind tunnel is you can change something on the fly and. Uh, and see exactly what the benefit is. But this, you have to use a little bit of intuition, a little bit of experience to really uh, tweak it. But you also do have the benefit of seeing uh, directly what happens in terms of the airflow. Um, but sorry, I interrupted you, Michael. No, not at all. So then, so um, what we would do is once we get to our 
two or three or four positions that we think may work. Um, we'll take detailed notes on uh, whether it be stack and reach or just uh, you know stem length position spacers position pad width um, that kind of uh, that kind of information and obviously the the type of helmet model and uh, the hydration options that we used in each of the scans. And then once we have the uh, the CDA numbers and potentially the report back from Stack, then the client would come back in for that final fit up. So we would say, you know, case two, let's say was the fastest was the fastest position, and case two had such and such a stem at such and such a height, and that's where we would go back to that position if that was not the last position that we tested. Yeah, perfect, and. Uh... Or one thing that I noticed just looking at your website was that you also have the option then once the results come in to look at a 3D viewer where you can compare yourself to different models, different riders that have actually gone through this process. So can you talk a bit about that, Andrew? Yes. Uh, so this is something that's currently under development, but we're really excited about the possibilities with it. Uh, what we're trying to do is basically just every time we work with a professional um, who obviously doesn't mind having their, their model put up on the website, uh, we're trying to collect those models and collect uh, basically their, their position and how it changes and how certain people are fast. And that allows you to compare both yourself against a professional, but it also uh, potentially allows other professionals to scope each other out and get an idea of what they might be doing that, uh, that's different. And it's, um, it is an interesting way to almost crowdsource information, crowdsource aerodynamic knowledge. Um, but it, it, it is a very neat way to compare yourself. And even between myself and uh, one of the, the Stack co-founders, Art, um, it's a very interesting comparison how we do aerodynamically. Um, and Art is, uh, he'll put out typically about 50 watts more than I will during a race. Uh, which is a substantial amount of power. Uh, and we're both the same height and around the same weight, but we end up at the same speed, um, which is really surprising. So when you see his scan, you can see there's major differences. And it, a lot of it comes down to physiology uh, and flexibility, but um, it really is incredible how much of an impact aerodynamics has. So that's that's interesting, but, but he has been going through this process and... and just found that uh, he isn't uh, able to just for flexibility reasons and similar to to get to maybe as aggressive a position that would give him that aerodynamic benefit that would allow him to bring down the watts to go at the same speed is that the case yeah yeah and it's um so it's it's partly comfort um i guess willingness to to put yourself in a position that's maybe not as comfortable but um the flexibility is interesting too uh, Art's background is uh, competitive swimming, so he's actually got quite a long torso, um, and I've got longer legs, so that naturally puts us in a slightly different position. So we've actually compared ourselves on each other's bikes, and uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm faster on both bikes, which is interesting. Um, so it, it comes down to more than specifically the bike setup, but uh, at this point, uh, it probably would be worth getting Art in to see Michael about having a proper bike fit done, because that's not something he's done yet. Yeah. And uh, when you mentioned that you're excited about uh, the 3D view, you are going back to that for a little bit and uh, having some pros uh, allowing you to use their models. What, what what does the future look like for that? Do you plan to make it a real source of big data that you can uh, go to and uh, and really make it, try to optimize it and get as much out of it as possible? Or what's the future of it? 
there's a couple different ways that we can look at this in the future. So one of them would be collecting, I guess, a public source of data. So um, just a general library that anyone could access. So if you want to look at, say, Cody Beals, for example, who's known to be very aerodynamic um, versus someone like Lionel Sanders, who's um, not as aerodynamic, but extremely powerful. Um, you could see the differences um, just as a an age group or athlete or just anyone as part of the public, you could go in and look at the differences. Uh, so that's one aspect, just information and curiosity for most people. Um, from a coach's standpoint, what we're able to do is put together a essentially a private area where you can compare all of your athletes together. Uh, and you can compare different scans over time and have that repository of all that information. Um, which would allow you to see, for example, one specific athlete. Maybe you have scans over a course of uh, a year or two or at different points in the season or before and after an injury. Um, so you would be able to see how that position has changed as a result of changes in flexibility or physiology. Um, so it does offer a lot of tools for uh, validation and comparison, not only from one athlete to themselves, but uh, from different athletes to each other. Yeah, I love that idea about uh, having a repository for the, for the coach as well. Uh, that's uh, that's a great, great potential uh, avenue for the three D viewer. And uh, going back just a little bit to uh, to Michael and uh, the case where you have the athlete coming in and wanting both a fit and the aerodynamic assessment, uh, just to make sure that the listeners are aware of uh, the variance. Uh, how much really can you do in terms of aerodynamics and and uh, what is the variance that you see in how aggressive you can go with different athletes, really, in terms of their bike fit? Are you asking the question, what's the difference between athlete A and athlete Yeah, like kind of the compromise between aerodynamics and and the fit that that you need to make and and how how it varies from athlete to athlete. You can talk about that. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly different. And uh, so Andrew had a great example of himself and Art. They're... They have some morphological similarities and some differences, and there's a, the difference in their CDA is astronomic to the extent that, you know, with 50 watts more in the tank, Art is really going only about as fast as Andrew is. So that's that's a great case study right there. Uh, but even among my athletes, there are um, there are folks, and it's especially the, the ability to anteriorly rotate your pelvis is key. So that's to rotate it forward. So, which allows for a flatter and typically lower back. Um, and that is something that even some very young and very fit athletes cannot do because of structural issues, in their, typically in their hips and pelvis. Um, and so the, that, those athletes will tend to not ever be, will never be able to achieve it as, an, as aerodynamic a position as others. It can definitely be optimized, but it may not be as fast as as someone who is able to rotate their hips forward and really, you know, kind of ride on the sits bones and on a, on, on the nose of a saddle. So there is uh, there is quite a bit of difference uh, in terms of, in terms of sheer numbers. Um, you know, we're trying to keep it from, you know, too, too nerdy, but uh, if, if your listeners are familiar with, with good CDA values, you know, you've got, you can get really low CDA values in the 0.22s for the really, really fast guys, the really aerodynamic guys, and someone who is, um, you know, maybe has some lower back issues or can't rotate their hips forward as much, um, their CDA values, even on a TT bike, might be around 0.3. 
and in terms of in terms of speed differences, of course, it depends on how how speedy and how powerful these athletes are. Uh, but the the differences are are dramatic. We're talking easily, you know, two or three kilometers an hour for two hundred watts or more. Okay, so 0.22 to 0.3 is the is the is the range there generally from very good to to very bad. Um, uh, so so what kind of benefits do you see when an athlete comes in and you do a scan or you test a different a few different positions? Uh, what what have been some typical results that you've seen? How much have the CDA improved for some some of your athletes, or on, if you have any sort of in, inkling about what the average would be? Sure. Um, some I, we've ran about six of our guys right now and. Uh... The typical spread between, say, worst scan and best scan is about 0.02. So, you know, from uh, 2.5 to 2.7 uh, is, is a common range. Um, and that's not insignificant. You know, I'd, uh, I should have come prepared with some numbers, but over the course of an Ironman, that's definitely, or even a sprint, uh, that's definitely that's definitely a significant amount of time. Like enough, more, more time than, say, uh, an expensive set of wheels might get you. Um, yeah, and, and Andrew, do you have some numbers for that off the top of your head? Uh, I can pull up the spreadsheet here. <laughs> so what do you just <laughs> off the top of my head? Okay. The other, uh, the other interesting observation that uh, Andrew first glued me on and uh, we've actually seen in testing is with certain individuals, lower isn't better. Um, so there, there comes a point with, uh, especially with female riders, but even with some males, where uh, a, a lower front end, is actually slower than a um, uh, than a higher front end, and uh, Andrew can probably do a better job of explaining the the reasons behind that. But that's an important observation for the simple reason that typically a higher front end tends to be a little bit more comfortable. So if we test those two positions, and we, it turns out that the higher front end is a little bit faster than the lower, and it's more comfortable, then there is really no reason to go lower. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that. Let's talk a bit about cost and availability. How how much does it cost to get a scan with the uh, virtual wind tunnel generally? And uh, just as a comparison, what would go into an actual wind tunnel be? So currently we're pricing them out at uh, about $100 per scan. There are a couple of package options that uh, Stack and I are, are working on, but the the current cost per scan is, is $100. So what that gets you is um, some minor changes to the bike if that needs to happen, obviously not a full fit. Uh, a scan, then the, the, the computational fluid dynamics work that, they, that the guys do, and a CDA number. Is A scan in this case, uh, is that a few different uh, positions? No, that, that just, you... just one position. Just one position. Just so one position and... Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah. Okay. Perfect. And uh, what about availability? So you obviously do it, and uh, you're located in Toronto, and we'll have all the links, of course, in uh, uh, on the show notes page. But uh, it's uh, X Free Training. What about elsewhere in Canada and uh, all around the world? Andrew, well, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at the moment, we've had a lot of people reach out to us. So we're in the early stages of negotiation um, with setting up remote scanning locations. Um, so there's been a ton of interest. Uh, we're just getting off the ground. So um, there's uh, just off the top of my head, there's someone in Hong Kong, uh, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, uh, Netherlands. So a lot in Europe, uh, all over the world. 
Um, but really, the amount of equipment and training needed is not that significant. Uh, most people have an iPad. The, the scanner itself, uh, which is an attachment to the iPad, um, that's about $350 US. So it's not a huge investment. So it's even something within the reach of, uh, say, a triathlon club. Um, so, and potentially what could happen is a, a club could purchase this and then they could organize and, and train someone on the scanning. And then within the club, they could send back the, um, uh, the different scans and work with us that way. So there's, there's a lot of availability. Um, and it's not something like going to a normal wind tunnel where you'd have to, uh, worry about the travel unless you're lucky enough to live within uh, a few kilometers of one of these wind tunnels. And there's really only a handful of them around the world that are equipped for testing cyclists. But um, the availability is one of the huge benefits of the, the 3D scanning. It can really be done from anywhere. Um, and the amount of training is, is fairly minimal. So it's, uh, it's really accessible and it's fairly scalable as well. Um, and it, it allows us to make it so that um, typical age group athletes aren't afraid to ask about aerodynamics anymore, um, that it's something within their reach that they can benefit from. Uh, and going back to a bit earlier, so the, the number that... Uh, uh, Michael had mentioned the 0.02 CDA change. So even something like that, which doesn't sound too significant, that can be almost uh, 10 minutes on an Ironman split, um, depending on your power level. So there's significant gains to be had for relatively minor cost compared to some of the equipment that you can buy. So um, and and really most of the drag comes from the cyclist anyway. So this is this is the part we're trying to optimize. Yeah, this is uh, completely in line with some previous episodes we've had, for example, with the guys from Flow Cycling that talked all about these these things and uh, they completely match up. What about uh, the accuracy compared to wind tunnels? Uh, I know that you have numbers and you are in the process of publishing a paper, aren't you? Yep, that's right. Um, so we've done uh, a couple different studies. So as a general comparison, um, so working with Cody Beals, we were within two to three percent of, uh, of his wind tunnel tests at uh, the faster wind tunnel in Arizona. Uh, and I was recently invited down there by Ventum uh, to basically work with their athletes during the wind tunnel session. So I've, um, I don't have all the, the data yet, but uh, I'm going to compare all of their wind tunnel results with uh, as many athletes as I scanned. So I should have at least eight or nine data points, which would be a good comparison. Uh, on top of that, um, recently I worked with one of the slow twitch editors, and I was able to match up the predictions for uh, for the different helmets that he had uh, had wind tunnel uh, results for. Um, so I was very close on on those as well. So uh, we've seen fantastic correlation with wind tunnel data, um, and even with our own testing. So the the paper you mentioned that we're working on. Um, this was done with the scale model, and we were within 1% of the, the wind tunnel results for that model. Uh, now, the, the model was created directly from a scan, so we've taken out the accuracy of the scan as part of the, the equation there. But um, uh, the, the split of uncertainty, I guess, would go half between the, the numerical simulation and half between the, the scanning resolution. But um, we're within, I feel, the repeatability of most wind tunnels or other experimental methods. So. Uh, it's not necessarily a replacement for any of those, but it's uh, another tool in the toolbox that can help you make good decisions on equipment. Yeah, and uh, I don't think that we actually got a number yet about what, what would the cost be if you would want to go to the wind tunnel and have a have a test there. Do you have any idea? Uh, it varies from wind tunnel to wind tunnel. Um, in Ontario, there's uh, I heard that there's one in Oshawa, so just east of Toronto. 
um, that's a climactic wind tunnel and it's quite large, but they're setting it up for cycling now. And um, I think it's on the order of 800 to $1,000 Canadian an hour. Uh, the faster wind tunnel, I'm from memory, it's around 450 to 550 US an hour. Um, plus you have to factor in your travel time. So there, there are a couple that are nearby some people, but for the vast majority of people, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to pay for a flight and a hotel for a couple of days and meals and all those other incidentals. So it ends up costing several thousand dollars sometimes to get the, the wind tunnel results. It does. What about limitations uh, of the virtual wind tunnel? You touched upon a few of these already, but just to quickly uh, sum them up here. Yeah. Uh, so one of the biggest limitations that um, that I think exists is just the turnaround time. Uh, and this is something that we're working on improving. So currently, uh, it takes maybe two to three days to turn around the results, provided that we're not too busy. Uh, and that will be multiple scans um, and a full report returned to you. Um, in the ideal scenario, we're hoping to get this down to 24 hours by taking advantage of cloud computing. Um, but the, it doesn't have the instant feedback or near instant feedback that something like uh, the wind tunnel has or even the Alpha Mantis system. So that is a bit of a downside. But as I mentioned previously, the, the side benefit is you get a lot more detail about the flow. Um, another downside is that uh, the, the results are only as accurate as the scanning process. And this is something that we're constantly working on improving. But uh, there are certain features that won't get picked up by scanning. Um, so, for example, spokes and cables, um, even using high-end commercial 3D scanners, which might cost thirty dollars or $40,000, they often don't pick up these features as well. So um, it's just a question of uh, how important are they in the overall solution. And they obviously do make a contribution, uh, but the angle that we come from is that each scan is consistent. So it may miss those details, but um, it's not like another scan is uh, incorporating them. So it's really, you're comparing the same limitations all the time. And you've got a good baseline, you've got a good comparison for each one of the, the scenarios. Yeah, perfect. What about the future? I read somewhere, might have been that slow article that you mentioned actually about Cody Bills and uh, how he's become involved just because he was so impressed with uh, with the innovative uh, approach that you have to things and uh, and all those ideas being thrown around at the office. So, what what can you talk about as it uh, pertains to the future of Stack Performance? Well, we've got our fingers in a lot of different pies right now. I guess if you want to if you want to use that analogy, but. Uh, we're, we're excited about a bunch of different things that we're working on. So there's a few aerodynamics devices that, uh, that we're developing, and a lot of those have been with the help of uh, Cody and his input, uh, and actually using the virtual wind tunnel as a development platform and a testing platform to see how it would do. Um, and on top of that, the other exciting thing right now that we're working on is a variable resistance version of our trainer, which is completely unrelated to the wind tunnel. But... Um, that is, uh, as far as the future of Stack, that is the key there. So the the trainers, um, that's kind of our bread and butter, but we also want to get into uh, looking at how we can extract more performance from people, uh, whether it's aerodynamics or other methods, just to, to help people perform at their best. And that's really what we're all about. We want to improve just every athlete out there. Perfect. Let's roll into a few rapid-fire questions, and I'll let both of you uh, each uh, answer these questions, but uh, 
please be quick so we because we are running out of time a bit so the first question is what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon starting with michael uh i really like fitzgerald's how bad do you want it um just because you know psychology and training and racing is becoming such a big deal recently um whereas physiology was always king before and he he's got some really good and very readable with some really good examples and some really good solutions for it uh, in a very readable kind of uh, package andrew i'm actually going in the other direction so training and racing with the power meter is probably the the turning point for my my own personal training uh, where I really incorporated uh, power-based training and learned how to improve my body so much more. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment, Michael? Excluding well, virtual wind tunnel. <laughs> okay, uh, that's what I was going to say. I'm a big fan of my power meter. I, uh, it's a tool that on the bike, without which I feel kind of a little bit, a little bit handicapped. It's uh, it's such a beautiful, objective way of capturing effort that. You know, nothing really beats in any of the other sports. And Andrew? Uh, slightly biased opinion here, but my Stack Zero trainer. So I do most of my training indoors just because it's so much more controlled and so much easier to get a good workout. Yeah, I should have excluded that, but we'll put it as a bike <laughs> trainer. <laughs> no, it's good. And finally, what are your personal habits that have contributed to your success, Michael? Um, I think uh, certainly consistency is key uh, with with training and with anything else. Uh, it's uh, and, and w especially with my athletes, with both uh, new new athletes and veterans. You know, the ones that that train the most con in the most consistent fashion are the ones that see the best results. Andrew, uh, for me, I think it's the competitive spirit that uh, that really pushes me forward. So, um, just being at a high level um, with whatever I do, that's that's one thing that uh, that I really uh, encourage of other people, not not to the point that it's unhealthy, but just uh, the a healthy competitiveness, I think, is uh, definitely a good way to get the most out of yourself. Perfect. And finally, tell us where the listeners can find you on the, the internet or on social media. Let's start with Michael. Yeah, uh, we we have a presence on uh, on Instagram X3 Training on Facebook also X3 Training and the website is again x3training.com so that's x the number three training.com and Andrew so our main website is stackzero.com that's s t a c z e r o and you can link to the virtual wind tunnel through there, and we've got our 3D viewer on that as well. So that's a good place to to get started and learning about us. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram under Stack Performance. Perfect, and everything will be linked up in the show notes. So thank you, Andrew and Michael. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed thank it. Thank you for having us. All right. That has now taken me around about nine minutes to edit up until this point. And uh, the clock is now five minutes past 10 here. I'm trying to get this done in 10 more minutes or so. So uh, that will give me six hours, 45 minutes uh, to sleep, which uh, is enough for one-off. I'm a big proponent of sleep, but I will be just fine for tomorrow's workout. 
Okay, we are now back in 2020, um, for better or worse, I suppose. Um, thank you, Michael, for kindly allowing us to use this uh, way back episode uh, to <laughs> showcase, you know, where uh, where we all started and how far we, we've, we've come in three years in our podcasting, individual podcasting journeys. If you don't already, definitely check out Michael's excellent That Triathlon Show. He's been a guest on, our, on this show three times, as you know, if you've listened. And he is um, one of my most often cited sources for reliable triathlon information. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please do rate and review us. Uh, one new thing that I learned recently from another podcast, of course, is that uh, if you subs- if you like the show and you subscribe to it, we actually get more visibility than just uh, listening to the show. So if you haven't subscribed to Endurance Innovation, please do so now. And then if you have, then read us and uh, give us a review on whatever podcast application you do use to, to listen. And um, consider supporting us also on Patreon. And that's patreon.com slash Endurance Innovation. Thank you.